we're in the second part of a series that we've called Detox. Because how many people recognize that the amazing truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God loves us so much that he does, that he meets us right where we are. He doesn't, he doesn't require us to come to a certain point. He doesn't meet us halfway. He loves us so much he meets us right where we are. Well, where we are is typically toxic for us on certain levels. There are different things in our lives that there are habits, there are mindsets, there are choices. There are different things in our lives that are unhealthy for us. When something toxic gets in your system, it begins to negatively affect your system. And we go through physical detoxes and take things that help get toxins out of our bodies. And spiritually, the Holy Spirit works and does that for us. Why? Because God loves us so much that he meets us right where we are. But he loves us so much that he doesn't leave us there. So this concept that God meets us right where we are, it doesn't mean that then we have this, we're rubber stamped to be able to live just the way we are forever. No, life change is a, is a part of growth in Christ. But it's not life change we put on to impress God. It's life change God gives us to better our lives because he loves us. It's not something we do for him because we love him. It's something he does for us because he loves us. And that's why we have subtitled this series, God Works in You. God Works in Us. That's the detox, is letting him work in us. So the magnitude of what God has done for all of us. That's the beautiful thing. God has reconciled the entire world to himself. He's done it. Every person you meet is reconciled with God. Every one of them. A lot of them just don't know it yet. A lot of them just don't recognize it yet. God has done it for them. In Christ, he has provided the reconciliation. He has done it. And it is our job that once we have embraced it and understand it, is to let people know, guess what? Jesus has done it. It's been completed. We are reconciled to him. And so the magnitude of what God has done in all of us is best revealed by letting him work in each of us. No one can argue with your personal experience with God and the Holy Spirit. They can't. They can argue theology. They can argue ideas. But when God comes in and you give him permission to change you from the inside out, no one can argue with that. Nobody can go, wow, man, I don't get your theology. I don't get this, but man, you're different. That thing that just happened, you used to would have exploded. And now you had patience I didn't think you were capable of. All of a sudden, this other situation takes place and normally you would have gone off the handle or you would have run and hid. You'd have just gone, I can't handle this anymore. And you'd have, you'd have vanished into it. And then all of a sudden, now you're, you're standing in the fight and, and you're doing it in love and you're not hiding anymore. All of a sudden, the, the Holy Spirit is at work in you and a life changed and transformed by the renewing power of the Holy Spirit is the greatest answer for the power of God that's out there. That's why the Holy Spirit wants to work in your life. 
Why? Because it is a twofold blessing. It blesses you. He wants to do it just for you. Just for you. Just because he loves you. Just because he cares about you. But then guess what? He also loves all those who know you best. And his work in you speaks loudest to those who know you best. See, there are some things that we don't really appreciate the magnitude of them taking place until later. Just didn't ask anybody who ordered the extra spicy. They recognized the magnitude of that decision later. It is only after some process they recognize, hmm, I carried more weight than I thought it did. And there are other things in life. We, we just, it's as God works in us that the magnitude of it really begins to show. And as uh, we come into the start of a school year, then my, my big moment in my academic life was not the start of any particular grade, but was whenever I came to Angelo um, as a freshman. I had grown up in West Texas. I'm still a West Texas boy. Grew up in Odessa. I uh, graduated from Permian. All right. I deserve it. I get it. And so, uh, anyways, the, uh, there's a few mojoers here. Don't mess with us all. We'll, gain, we'll, we'll hold it. Thank you. Thank you. Up at the top. And so, and, um, and so, the... Uh, Anyway, that's right, Blake. We got some mojo rolling. He's shrinking down in his seat. Come on, Blake. Come on, man. I wasn't throwing you on the bus. I was calling you to the battlefield. Anyways, but growing up, I, I had had a, I'd made a decision um, that I wanted uh, to be an architect. I'm now dealing with our architect. I'm very grateful God did not lead me down that path. <laughs> and so, but I, I like to draw, I like to build things. The concept of creating something and designing something and seeing it come to pass was just a cool thought to me. I just thought that was going to be awesome. So, you know, about the seventh or eighth grade, people start you to ask you, you know, what are you going to do? And I was like, say, I'm going to be an architect. Well, then, you know, then I had to find out what school had a good architectural program and Texas Tech, get your guns up, and um, has a good architectural program. So it's like, well, I'm going to go to Texas Tech and I'm going to become an architect. And that was just my go-to plan. And so all through junior high, all through high school, and then it's finally time to go to school. And I applied to Texas Tech. And at some point in my senior year, um, there was a, a guy that we went to church with who was an educator in Odessa and said, um, have you thought of Angelo State University. And I was like, I've not heard of Angelo State University. And um, do, not have a, do not have a D1 uh, football program, not on TV, didn't, didn't know him. And uh, I said, man, the car scholarship's a great scholarship program. I had made decent grades in, in school and, and uh, um, done well on the SAT. He's like, I, I think you need to I think you need to, to check that out. So I went ahead and I applied to ASU and did all of the different stuff. And, and honestly, I never went and toured tech. I, I never went and toured. And, and as I prayed, I didn't pray for much in high school. I just didn't. I, just, I wasn't a good little 
devoted Jesus guy in high school. But there was something in me that had me praying. I prayed for two things, honestly, in high school. I prayed for my future wife. And so, um, and uh, praise God, um, she's awesome. And so God answers prayer. And, uh, and so, and I prayed, and I, uh, I prayed about where I was supposed to go to college. And so I, we came and came with my parents and we toured ASU and, and uh, the, the, the city was, was, was comfortable. It was about the size of Odessa, except it had three lakes, a river, and two buttes. Two. Not one. Two buttes. We have no buttes or rivers or lakes or anything in Odessa. So this was like the Garden of Eden. It was awesome. And so I came here and, and, and just prayed. And I had had zero plans. I had, Angelo State had not been on my radar at all, at all. And, man, all of a sudden, God just began to give me a real sense of peace that I was supposed to go to Angelo State. Well, Angelo State didn't have an architectural program. And um, so as I began, I, I came here, and my life was going one direction. And I was very involved politically um, at that point, and very, very geared up on that. In fact, I have a degree from ASU in government. And um, anyways, don't boo and hiss that either. And so, ooh, a government mojo guy. This is horrible. We're all leaving. And um, anyways, and so what I had no idea is I had no idea the magnitude of that decision to come to Angelo State. I had no idea. All I knew is God was leading me and directing me and said yes. I, I had zero plans of spending my life here. I had zero plans of investing my, my life here, raising my family here, any of that. And as we look up, then all of a sudden God has us rooted here and begin to build a life here. And, and God calls me into ministry here. And, and we uh, bring my, my wife this is her first place to, to move, and we have kids here and end up planning a church here and going to spend the rest of our lives in this community. And I had no idea the magnitude of that decision until we just walked it out by faith. Folks, I want you to understand that when God gives you peace in something, Walk in that peace. No matter how tumultuous everything else gets, you walk in that place of peace. God's got more going on than you understand. God's at work on a deeper level than you remotely understand. And things can get crazy and rocky on the surface, but I'm telling you, He's at work here. Now, what I want us to do as we get into Romans uh, uh, 13, that I want to the Romans chapter 12, we kicked off the detox with, and it lets us know the detox begins right here between our ears. That we're going to have a renewing of our minds. The way that you think will change. Your life will not change in any area until the way you think about that area changes. It's just not. It's not. You are not. If you want to change your physical health, 
you're going to have to change the way you think about your diet and your exercise and your choices. It's just it's the truth. Your relationships, they're not, there's going to be no significant change until you change the way you think about those relationships. There's, you're not. It's just not going to be any change. So that is where it begins. And then immediately he begins in chapter 12. He talks about how we're called to serve one another. Why? Because sin makes us hardwired that life should be about making me happy. Sin makes us hardwired that we look at everything. All advertising is pointed to how this product can make you happy. Everything. Most people enter into relationships to say, I think you can finally make me happy. I think you're the one that can keep a smile on my face every day. Yeah, right. That person doesn't exist. They don't exist. It's a fairy tale. Stop that. And so we're called, Romans 12 lets us know we're called to serve. Your greatest joy is going to be found in your greatest place of service to others. Cut and dry. It just is. We're called to serve others. Romans 13 hits us right in the mouth with the fact that of how we deal with those who are contrary and against us. Those who are outside the church family and are contrary and against us. Romans 12 breaks down the fact that everything should be about us and know it's about how you can serve. And then Romans 13 immediately gets in to this place. And, and so before we get in there, let's look at, at Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Wow, that kind of fits with the Romans 12, this place we're called to serve one another. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember, 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 remember. Therefore, remember that formerly you were, you who are Gentiles by birth or outside of God's covenant, outside of being recognized that God cared about anybody or was doing anything. Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and, and foreigners to the covenant to the promise. You were without hope and without God in the world. Remember that before Jesus you were without hope and without God. Why do we need to remember that? Why? Because people who are without Christ, who are without hope and without God, do things that are stupid and destructive and hateful. And guess what? When you were outside of this, you did the same stuff. Remember that. How in the world are you going to be able to minister to people who are there and doing those things if you don't have a compassion and go, you know what? If it hadn't been for God, I'd be in your boat. I'd be right there with you. I'd be rowing right alongside you but God, there's a better way remember but now in Christ Jesus you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ that is what this is about we were once far away 
but now we've been brought near. That's what the heart of God is all about. And if you forget that, and you, be, you put this Christian mantle on, and you begin to wear this Christianity thing about something other than God being about finding out what's far away, those that are far away, and drawing them near, you will begin to use Christianity wrong. You'll begin to see your relationship with God and other people wrong. So we're putting this mindset on right now. Right now. Now this. Let's get in the rest of our notes. Remembering God's heart to reach those who are far away must frame how we respond to others. We're all in agreement with that, I hope. Now let's read Romans 13, verse 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. Pause right there. This doesn't mean that every elected official, God put them in office. That is not what this means. What this means is the concept of authority. God is a God of authority. He's not a God of chaos. He's not a God of anarchy. He's a God of order. Okay? And as different forms of order come about, God is a God of authority and order. There's order and authority in the heavenlies and in the kingdom of God. There's order and authority in our dealings with humanity. It is an absolute must, and God has established and hardwired us for this deal. So consequently, we'll go on. It says the authorities that exist have been established. Authority, again, has been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebel, rebels against authority is rebelling against which God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. As Paul is writing this, as Paul is writing this, he is under the most oppressive Roman emperor ever. You want to study a psychopath that had ultimate rule for a while is a guy named Emperor Nero. And that guy did some atrocious, horrible, terrible things. Hated Christians. Hated them. Fed families to lions to be able to watch it. Just horrible. Burnt Christians alive to light his gardens and did this. Just horrible, horrible things. You think we live in a gov- under a government in a time that is oppressive, to being able to live out our Christian faith. We're in a movie theater. Having church. There's places where people have to hide for fear of death. And we have church in a movie theater. We have religious freedom here. I get it that, that culture is creating some tension. I get it that there's some some push back even on the governmental legal level. But folks, you and I, we still live in unprecedented religious freedom and it's up to you and I to enjoy it and to live in it if it's going to be passed on further. We have to. We have to, to do that and to, to do that. But we have to have the mindset that our real kingdom is not the United States of America. It's not any geopolitical place at all. And let's look at the words of Jesus. It'll be on your screen. John 18, 36. Jesus is talking to Pilate and he says this amazing statement. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent 
my arrest by Jewish leaders. One of them tried to. Peter pulls the sword out, whacks a guy's ear off. I mean, he doesn't just pull it like calling bluff. He starts whacking. He is sitting there trying to knock, knock his ear off. I guarantee you what he was trying to do, he was going for the whole head. Peter wasn't trying to remove an arm. Peter was doing this, and the poor dude lays over, dodging, loses an ear. What does Jesus do? Jesus picks up the ear and puts it on the man's head and heals it instantaneously and rebukes Peter. Why? Because that is not what we are called to. Jesus tells the guy who has the authority and is going to tell his soldiers to nail him to a cross and says, my kingdom's not what you think it is. Because if it was, we would fight. That's the normal thing, okay? If you think that our Christianity is wrapped up into the United States of America, it'll make you want to fight. But it's not. It's not. Your Christianity is in your King Jesus. And a few months ago, there was a, a great uh, minister named Andy Stanley who said something incredibly powerful to his congregation when he was teaching them not to grow weary in their well-doing. And he addressed everybody 45 and up. And I actually think, I'm 42, and I think it actually ought to be pulled back to at least 42 and actually a couple of years younger. And he really rebuked them. And he said, look, you're all in a twist. You're all upset because you've had your hope set on a system. You've had your hope set on the right person getting into the right office and that it's then all going to be okay. Guess what? We already have the right person in the right office. We have Jesus on the throne forever. And guess what? In 2,000 years of, of Christian history that it has gone forth and gone around the world, the United States has only existed for a blip of it. And I praise God for the United States. I pray, I pray for the U.S. I'm, I'm thankful for my U.S. citizenship, and I wouldn't want to raise my family anywhere else. It's still the greatest place on the planet for personal freedom and, and opportunity. But folks, as believers, we cannot get wrapped up in this thing. And why? And I love what he said. He said, all of us, if we get all sort of doom and gloom and everything's going to pot, we start scaring our kids. We're called to live by faith, folks. We're called to live by faith. And, it, and that doesn't depend on what happens in November. It doesn't. Is voting important? Yes, it is. And as your pastor, I tell you, go vote. And vote the way you feel led to vote. Vote with things that line up with love. Vote with things that line up with who Jesus is and, and reflect those as much as you possibly can. But when it's all said and done, don't go in there with your prayers that this person you're punching a ballot for is going to change and save our place. Salvation is in Christ alone. It's in Him alone. So then you and I can be active in public policy. You ought to be active. Policy is important. All those things are important. But folks, when we get an adversarial point of view, 
It changes how we interact. And we lose focus of our core assignment. Let's look at how Paul, when he was dealing with governing authorities. Let's look real quickly at this. Acts 26 says, we have Paul, we're going to get to the end of it. It'll be on the screen. Just listen to me right here. He's before a guy named Festus, okay, who's a, who's a king, who's a ruler there. In, uh, and he is uh, addressing him, and, and he is telling him who Jesus is. Paul could be addressing all of the different atrocious stuff that Festus and his counterpart sitting there, King Agrippa, that all of them have done. He could be calling them to the carpet on all sorts of things. And should, should the church be a voice in our community for what's right? Absolutely. Standing up for injustice? Absolutely. But our heart has to be that the, outs, that the far away get drawn in. Here he is, standing before a king. He says, but God has helped me to this very day, so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses would have said, that the Messiah would suffer, that's Jesus Christ, and, and, and at the first, as the first to, to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. says, you're out of your mind, Paul. Because he talked about somebody being raised from the dead. He shouted, your great learning has driven you insane. Paul says, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. Still was respectful. He replied, but what I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things that I'm speaking freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And then Agrippa said to Paul, do you Think, and this should be on your screen right now. Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? As Paul stood in front of these leaders, his heart was persuade them to accept Jesus Christ and the love and the grace that was freely offered. That was his number one thing on their mind was he didn't see a king. He didn't see a ruler. He saw a man that Jesus Christ died for and a, and a, a person that God loves and wants drawn in. When we see the, our political adversaries, do you first and foremost see an enemy and somebody you think needs to be stopped? Or do you see someone that Jesus died for? Do you pray for them to be stopped? Or do you pray for them to come to Christ? I pray that we first and foremost sit there and respond like Paul and say, you know what? My Jesus loves you. And I remember that when you're outside of Christ, you do crazy, stupid stuff. And I'm not going to be able to do what I'm called to do, the good works I'm called to, if I don't remember what it's like to be away from God. If I don't remember that. But when I remember I can walk in my assignment. I can love God and I can love people. And I can see people treat me like crud. Why? Because I treated people like crud when I was away from God too. And I still do sometimes. Because we're still getting renewed. Somebody's outside and away from God with no hope and no God in this world. What are they going to do? They're going to do hateful, stupid, hurtful stuff. And the only thing that changes that is the love of Christ. That's it. That's it. 
Paul replied, short or long, whether I've got to be in your life and do this for a short time or a long time, I pray to God, not only that you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. He was under arrest. He's like, I hope you all become a Christ follower like me, except not be arrested for it. Paul's desire wasn't to live under Christian persecution. His desire was to be a Christ follower free from the chains and free from being arrested and free from being persecuted of it. That's what he wanted for everybody. We sang over in T9 as I worshiped with him this morning the song Relentless. There's a line that says, fighting for the furthest heart, you gave your life. Fighting for the furthest heart, you gave your life. See, Romans 13.3 says, For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do not want to be free from the fear of, of the author- one in authority? Then do what's right, and you'll be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for good. And, <clears throat> and if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They don't have their authority for no reason. For they're God's servants. Agents of wrath to bring punishment, to bring correction. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities. Not only because of punishment, but also for the matter of conscience. This will rub you the wrong way. This is why you also pay taxes. <clears throat> For the authorities are God's servants who <clears throat> give their full time to govern and give to everyone you owe. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. And then here comes the meat of this. See, we love because Jesus first loved us. We are simply giving away what he has already given. It says, let no rem- debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. How Do we able to deal with authorities that are oppressive and difficult because we understand that God loved us when we were oppressive and difficult? That God loved us. Let no debt remain outstanding except that to love one another. For whoever loves others fulfills the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever others command there may be, they're all summed up in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we'll just close for time's sake with this. 1 John 4, 19 says we love because he first loved us. Folks, we have plenty to be excited about, plenty to be hopeful for. It doesn't matter what party's in power, what politician's on the scene. We have a King Jesus who loves us and is for us. See, our bottom line is, is the more we love those who do not love us, the more we look like Jesus. You want to grow in looking like Jesus, grow in loving those that are hardest for you to love. Say, God, help me here. You love them, I want to love them too. It'll change your life. You want a big detox, love those who don't love you. It'll change your life. See, letting God show himself in you is the best thing that you can do for him. I understand that this is not a normal message, but it's one we need. It's one we need to keep hope in our hearts and right focus on our assignment in life and to be able to teach our children 
how to live this thing called a, a walk with Christ. They're watching. They're watching us. And if we get fearful and retreat and run away, that's what we're teaching them to do. But if we get loving and bold and full of hope because our God is bigger than any political climate or anything that's happening, man, we're teaching them to live like that. That's what changes the world. I want to create a quiet moment. And if you're here this morning and you recognize this, say, Brandon, you said that everybody we meet is already reconciled with God, is already right with God. I recognize I've been trying to get right with God. And I just finally realized he made himself right with me. He fixed it. It's not something about me trying to jump through hoops to impress him. It's about him having gone to the, to the cross to rescue me. I believe that today. I believe that it's what Jesus did and not what I do. And if that's you this morning, I want you to just raise your hand. I want you to just lift your hand and acknowledge that that's what Christ has done. Amen. Awesome. 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 There's any in T9. Praise God. Believers, I want you to lift your voice with these. As we've already declared, the work has been done. You've, you're all right with God. But I want to pray this first prayer with you as a right whole child of God. Believers, lift your voices with these. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus that he came for me while I was without hope, while I was without God in the world. You came to me. I believe that Jesus paid it all and that I'm right with you because of what Jesus has done. I invite you into my life. Change me from the inside out. Detox my life. Get the unhealthy stuff out so that you can fully shine. In Jesus' name. Amen.